good to see everybody here. Um, weather is really fall today. And um, those of you who are watching from home, I'm, I think, you know, we have some technical difficulties. And so you're going to have to bear with that for a while. Or you're going to have to make your way to church. But um, <laughs> either way. <laughs> uh, anyways, <clears throat> Aaron just read for us Acts chapter 16. And I only gave us a portion of this from verses 11 to 15, but actually we're looking at the whole chapter because in this chapter there are three stories, three accounts of people who uh, in their own way, in their experience, encounter Jesus Christ. And here in this passage, uh, this chapter, we first encounter a person named Lydia. Uh, later on, there's this story of a slave girl. And finally, there's a Philippian jailer. And in each of these three accounts, I like to ask, ask ourselves a question, or at least see three things. Um, who are these people? How did the gospel come to them? And what were the results, right? Who are these people? How did the gospel come to them, and what's their results? So let me just give you a background to the book of Acts here. <clears throat> We're in the second half of the book of Acts, and here the apostle Paul, as Luke writes this, talks about his second missionary journey. Paul's not one of the greatest missionaries, if not the greatest missionary in the Bible. And they're finishing up their visit in this church in Galatia. And what Paul wanted to do was that he, he wanted to go further west, right? He wanted to conquer some new territory for the cause of Christ. Uh, they probably wanted to go to Asia, to the great cities of Philip, uh, Philadelphia, Sardis, uh, Ephesus, Theatria, um, the churches in Revelation that you read about. But they, for some reason, can't go west. And so, you know what you do. Paul's, he's open. And so you can't go south because there's just water. They already come from the east. And so they just go north. And so they're in Troas, this place called Troas. And in verse 10 of our passage, we read that Paul was somehow told that they were to continue to go north into Macedonia. Macedonia. So they're in this place called Macedonia. And do you know where Macedonia is today, geographically? That's right. It's Greece. Uh, it's Greece. Macedonia is Greece. And do you know what continent Greece is in? Europe. That's correct. <laughs> it's Europe. Uh, we got a quick group. Fast, you know. Anyways, well, so this is cool because all this time, Christianity was essentially a Middle Eastern religion. And now you see here in, in, in Acts that it's going beyond its boundaries. It's no longer just a Middle Eastern thing, right? Or an ancient Near East thing, for that matter. It goes into Europe. Uh, it's in Macedonia, now Europe, particularly Greece. And they end up in a town called Philippi. And in verse uh, 13 to 14, we read that on the Sabbath day, Paul and his uh, followers went outside the gate to the riverside where there was supposed to be a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. See, what's, what's interesting about, about this account is that Paul's normal way of sharing the gospel was to wait for the Sabbath, and then um, as the Sabbath came, he would go to a synagogue, and he would talk to people around there first. He would share with them, preach to them, uh, you know, just speak to them. Uh, but the thing is, at this point in time, in Philippi, where they were, there was no synagogues. Do you know how many people it takes to, to actually be called a synagogue? Ten people, ten men, ten men in, in Jewish terms is called a minium. That's what you needed. But apparently there wasn't even ten men in Philippi. 
And in fact, as far as we could tell, there weren't any men. Who's there? Verse 13, a bunch of women. Women sitting around by the riverside. And so he goes to them. Think about this. Here's Paul. He's a missionary, put his life on the line for God. He's going out there, and he wants to do something great for the Lord. He's going to spread the gospel in foreign territory. He's going to go into a new continent, Europe, maybe start a church, maybe many churches, but there were no men around. But there were some women, and they're sitting there together by the river just praying. It's basically a woman's small group. So Paul's going to start with them. Now, when they say women praying, we're talking about Jewish women. So we're talking about Old Testament people of faith. But they were exiled Jews. No men around to lead these women. No men to teach them. But they faithfully met. They set aside this place and made it their place of prayer. And Paul goes to them. You've got to understand how radical this is in Paul's time because in Paul's day, in that culture, women in that world, whether you're talking about Greek women or Roman women, any kind of women, they were basically looked down upon as slaves. Did you know, for example, that if a husband didn't like his breakfast, he had the right to kill his wife? Husbands, don't even think about using this as a joke when you go home, okay? Don't even try. That's true. That, that's what, that's what, imagine that. It would never fly in our culture today. Here's another one. Back in those days, no woman had the right to change her religion from one to another apart from her husband. If you were a religious Pharisee, a religious leader, you would make prayers like this. God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, that I am not a slave, and I thank you that I am not a woman. And so in that current context, the practical problem for many of the people, particularly the men in that time, that had with, they had a problem with early Christianity because so many women were converting to Christianity. A religion that said, in Christ, there is neither male nor female, but all are one. And so women would come to Jesus Christ and be totally independent from their husband's desires. And so a lot of women were getting saved. And a lot of husbands were getting uptight. Friends would come to them and say, hey, I heard your wife joined that Christian thing over there. You got no control over your wife, huh? And they couldn't handle that during that day. That was the current narrative or culture that they lived in. You know, the current narrative that we have in our world, it, it, it's, it's, it's a little different, but this flies in the face of that. There is a story out there in the world that some people say that the Bible is a very patriarchal book, right? That it's very male-dominant. It's a product of a male-dominated society. And the Apostle Paul was probably a male chauvinist. And he probably just expected women to stay home and feed the kids and do the dishes. And far from it. He's got a mission from God to spread the word. He goes into uncharted territory. And the first people he goes to are women. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible is completely free from any of the patriarchal, you know, stereotypes that we might think of. There might be. I, 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 you know, I can't say that for sure. But it isn't what the world seems to keep saying. He goes to women. If you want to start a legitimate religion in this culture, you don't start with the women. You start with men. And so we get into our text here in verse 14, and the first lady that Paul meets is this woman, Lydia, Right? Verse 14 says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatria, a seller of purple goods 
who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention what was said by Paul. Let's look at this lady, Lydia. Her name is Lydia. But Lydia is also the name of where she came from. She was Lydian. So that's why her name was Lydia. Lydia was from Lydia. Okay? Uh, And Lydia is a place in Asia called Theatria. In other words, Lydia is an Asian woman. Secondly, Lydia didn't sit around at home waiting for her husband to come. She was a businesswoman. She was an entrepreneur. She sold purple cloth. Now that tells us something because this isn't some Asian lady selling cabbage on the street corner or some ghetto just trying to make ends meet. Theatria, where she was from, was famous for their purple dye. It was very expensive, and to get it, you had to extract drop by drop little purple dye from a shellfish called murex. It was a very expensive process, and it was very expensive to buy. Think about this. When you look at the Bible, who wears purple? Kings, queens, princes. So expensive, in fact, only the super rich people could get purple dye for their clothes. And that's why the people of royalty would wear purple. So here is this lady, this Asian lady, who sells this stuff. She is raking it in. She's doing well. You know, she might be more rich than Jeff Bezos in her time. She's put, to put it in contemporary terms, she's a fashion designer who has her own store selling beautiful, expensive clothes to rich, good-looking, upper-class citizens. That's who she is. And later on, we learn she owns a huge house because she's always inviting a lot of people to stay over, maybe like a penthouse in Soho, but more on that later. And I think about this, and I think about Lydia, Right, It seems like life was going pretty well for her. Right, She seems pretty successful, at least in the eyes of the world. Nothing that she needs. She's doing pretty well, seems pretty healthy, doesn't seem to have any sickness, and she's got nice stuff. I'm going to be very honest. I know I'm a pastor. I like nice stuff. Right, And if we're honest with each other, no matter how much you make, we all, in some ways, in our own ways, like nice stuff. And I think that's why God will never let me be like Lydia because he knows that if I ever got to a point like Lydia, I would never come to church. It's that much of a temptation. But she's a business lady, an entrepreneur of her day, a sugar mommy, if you want to call her that. She's got it all together. So how does the gospel come to her? Verse 14, it says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. She just listened, and God opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. You know that word pay attention in the Greek? Literally, it means this. When he says pay attention, it means, and basically it means this, she was drawn to, she was attracted to what Paul had to say. What Paul preached. You see the irony here? This well-rounded, successful businesswoman who sells beautiful clothes to attractive rich people finds something attractive in Paul's gospel. 
And I think this goes against one of the narratives that we hear in the world today. You ever hear someone, people say this, that Christianity and, uh, in fact, all religion in general, the only reason people believe in that stuff is because they need to. Because life is sometimes is hard and it's tough and people need a crutch to lean on to kind of explain their situation and maybe provide a way out. And so Christianity and in fact all religion is like a crutch and they need an explanation for why things are the way they are when they go through just something terrible uh, to survive, to be comforted, just make it through. And then you hear people say, well, that's what the thing is. I don't need a crutch because that's false security. I'd rather find real, concrete, practical security here and now in something that I can hear, touch, taste, and smell, what I can see here and now in this world because that's all there is. You know what a materialist is? If you're a materialist, it doesn't mean you just like a lot of nice stuff. A materialist, strictly speaking, is someone who says, this is all there is. The world I see is all there is. Where I live, what I see, what, the things, what things I can do with, I can touch, I can smell, this is all there is. You know, people didn't always think like this. Uh, if you, if you do a history of how Christianity came to the West, <clears throat> you know, there was a guy named Charles Taylor who wrote a book about uh, uh, Western thought. And before Christianity even came to the West, Greek philosophy, you know, it, that, that's prevalent everywhere. If you don't like philosophy, you know, it, you're missing out. It's, always, it's not always easy. But pre-Christian philosophy believed that, you know, the material world out there, the physical world out there is impersonal and less important than the ideas that we have as people that, that you know, uh, mean more than what we see here and now. Plato is an example of that. That's how people thought. Material, world, physical, it, it doesn't mean anything. A lot of Eastern religions uh, still use that philosophy. But after Christianity came to the West, the culture began to be shaped by what we believed a personal God. And so then the body and the material became kind of good. And that improving them was important. And, and now science is even possible to make that happen. But what a lot of sociologists says, and what this author Charles Taylor says, and, and, and Tim Keller even uses him a lot, is that now we live in what we call a late modern world or a postmodern world. And what people now say or believe is this. Now, the natural world is the only reality. In the, be in the beginning, it, the natural world didn't mean anything. Christianity comes. Now it means something, but now Generally speaking, the natural is the only reality. Even love and feelings is simply a matter of brain chemistry. And so we have terminology like YOLO, you know, you only live once. Because right now is what matters. Seize the day, make it count, because there not be nothing after this. This is all we have. Now, I, let me challenge you to think about this. Tim Keller mentions this, and I'm trying to just summarize it really quickly, but he just basically sums something like this. If the natural world is all that we have, then evolution is natural. The strong eat the weak. The majority conquers the minority. And we shouldn't be upset about that because that's just natural. That's how it is. Bigger things take up smaller things, right? 
But nobody in our culture and people, nobody want to believe that. We believe in justice and equity for everybody. There is something dignified even in one person, no matter what a minority they might be from. We know that innately, innately there's something wrong with that. And so if it's natural that stronger beat the weak, that larger countries conquer smaller ones, that you know, stronger people just beat up younger people, if we know instinctively that, that, that if that's natural and we know instinctively that that's not right, can it be assumed that there's something more than just natural? There's more than just what we see here and now. You see, here's the thing. Here's why I like Lydia, because I think Lydia relates with many of us today in the States. It would have been easy for her to be a materialist. Everything's going well. You know, she liked nice things, but she's not a materialist because she liked nice things Maybe she could have easily said, this is it. This is what I live for. This is what I do. And that's nothing more. And if you believe that all the world is is what you see, then of course it makes sense then to live for the material. To just live for here and now. But Lydia, she doesn't. She pays attention to Paul's words. And she's attracted. It's not a crutch for her. She didn't need a crutch. Things are going pretty well as far as we know. In other words, in verse 14, uh, Paul's not saying she just kind of believed what Paul was talking about. She found in his message something that drew her, something that was attractive to her. Her life, she, you know, it's, it's not bad, so I need to believe in Christianity, a story of good, so that my life could feel better. Um, her life is pretty good. My life is good, she's saying. My life is even great. But here's the thing, but the Christian story to me sounds even better. That's the difference for someone like Lydia. You know, I knew a friend once, super Christian in college, right? Started the fellowship in there and, and, and it's still going on today, but he graduates and, uh, you know, becomes... I don't know, CEO of, of SanDisk, you know, uh, big tech company. And this is what he said. He said, I am making so much money, I feel bad. Here's a guy who is making so much money, he could take helicopter from his penthouse in Soho to go play golf in the Hamptons every weekend. And he tells me, I am making so much money, I feel bad. And that's why I just can't go to church anymore because I feel guilty because I just like it. Most of us, we say, yeah, you know, the gospel and Jesus, you know, that story, it's nice. You know, I, I believe it. It's, it's, it's good. But the question that I think we need to ask, like Lydia says to herself, it might be good to you. We've all heard it. But is it better to you? Is he better to you than all other things? What makes people leave the comfort of their home, give up good food, give up their clothes to go into a third world country and share the gospel. What makes people risk their job, risk being put in jail by an oppressive government just to get together to pray? What makes people do that? Because they all believe it was worth it. 
And for those people, and for Lydia, it isn't the idea that, oh yeah, Christianity, it's all good, it's all right. It's the idea that it's better. Better even than what I have now. And it can change lives. So what did, what did Lydia hear? What made the difference for Lydia? You know? You, you know when Jesus died, you, you know the Bible says they put a crown of thorns on his head, and what else did they do? They clothed him in purple. Purple. They were making fun of him. Oh, you're the king. Here's purple clothes, right? But on that cross, he did not look attractive. There was blood all over. He was beaten. Uh, he, he was flogged. Isaiah says he was marred, so marred that there was nothing in his physical appearance anymore. It was gross and it was ugly. That's what they did to him. The king wrapped in purple clothes. But you see, for Lydia, who dealt with beautiful, expensive purple clothes, who dealt with rich and physically attractive people all the time, she was able to say there's something more than just here and now. That the blessings she have came from someone, and it's not just here and now, and she wanted to live for the blesser. She wanted to live for the giver. And she, even though she played with beautiful and attractive stuff all the time, here's the thing. She found nothing more beautiful or attractive, more rich than the fact that the Son of God would give up his physical beauty, his glorious splendor, that the king of glory would give up his glory, his beauty for you. That's the message this successful, God-fearing woman was drawn to. How did it affect her? What happened? Well, she was a rich business uh, businesswoman, and, and I think many of us here, um, we might think, oh, man, Christianity means, Christianity means I've, got to, I've got to give up stuff now, and I, I've got to, you know, stop buying things, and I've got to sell things and sacrifice things that I like and that I enjoy, and, and, and maybe instead of being rich and successful, now if I'm a Christian, I, I've got to be poor, right, and humble, and, and so it's really hard to live a Christian life in a first world situation. Let me encourage you, Okay. Don't sell your stuff yet, okay? All right? Don't sell your Louis Vuitton bags, not yet. Um, look at Lydia. Uh, she was baptized, verse 15, and her whole house as well. And then she urges Paul and his followers, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. That's what he says. She didn't just say, you want to come over? She said, you have to come over my house. She prevailed. She heard the gospel. God opened her heart. She responds. She believes. She gets baptized. What does she do? She doesn't sell all her possessions. She doesn't give up the fashion industry and join a monastery or a convent. What does she do? She invites people in. She invites Paul to her home. In fact, in verse 15, the word is really strong. Doesn't just invite, she insists. She argues to have them over. In other words, she plays hostess. She shows hospitality. She takes all the blessings that she's gotten, this big house and all, and she becomes a blessing to others. Verse 
And she's the first convert to Christianity in all of Europe, as far as we know. And she opens her house. Her and her family open up to Paul and his friends, and that's it. That's the first local church. Lydia's house, I think, becomes the place where the first church in Europe meets. The church of Philippi met in Lydia's house. And later she becomes a leader in that church. That little woman's Bible study by the river becomes God's church in Philippi, all because a woman who was successful and blessed in every way decides to use her blessings for something more than just here and now, for something more than just herself, more than just what she sees, because for her, life isn't just the material. And you read Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 5. Paul says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, always making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What was the first day? I think when he says first day, maybe he was thinking Acts chapter 16, that day where he met Lydia and those women by the river and she opened her house. That's what happened. And I just want to challenge us today those of us who live in this country, you know, all of us, no matter how much you're making today, compared to the world, are doing so much better. And maybe that's one of the reasons why this country is having such a hard time being faithful to Christianity, because there's so much we have, believe it or not. But I want to ask you, do you believe in the gospel, but not just believe, are you attracted to it? Is there something about it that draws you to it? Do you, do you see Jesus? Do you not just know and say, yeah, I know the gospel, Jesus died for sin, blah, blah, blah. Do you, but do you see Jesus in all his beauty and yet given for you? Are you able to say, I've got a lot of good stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But I want you more. When you get together with Christians, what do you talk about? When you hang out with brothers and sisters of faith, what's the topics of your conversation? Is it always the material and never the spiritual? Is it all that we're functionally living for? And so I pray, like Paul prayed, that the Lord open your heart so that you might pay attention to what you heard.